All joking aside, Commissioner, crime is down for the first time in five years. That's because of the changes my department has implemented. Or perhaps it's because the vigilante's activities have had a chilling effect on the city's criminals. What are your thoughts, Oliver? I think the vigilante needs a better code name than the hood. Or the hood guy. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. How about Green Arrow? Lame. My spider senses are starting to tingle. Just hang on to your lariat. Wonder what kind of a scene I'm getting into. And welcome to Behind the Panels, issue 119, the comic book show that wonders what kind of a scene it's getting into. I'm Richard Gray. I'm David McVeigh. I'm David Longo. In this issue, the Avengers go travelling through time to defeat a future where Ultron wins in Ultron Forever. Wait, haven't we heard out that one before? <laughs> then the Avengers go travelling through time to defeat a future where Ultron... W- hang on, hang on. <laughs> also, Oscar Isaac is cast in X-Men Age of Apocalypse. It'll give us an excuse to talk about the new Star Wars trailer on a comic book show. Then it's ODC from Ma- Matt Fraction, Gotham by Midnight, Scarlet Spiders, Angry Birds Transformers and The Flash in what we've been reading and watching. Plus... Our kick-ass pick of the week, Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters by Mike Grell. This is Behind the Panels. Yes, that was uh, actually Public Image Limited. Uh, it was a song called Seattle, and it's from 1987. So it's a song about Seattle set in the same year as Epic of the Week. Wow. So nice. uh, Now, this is going to be an interesting show because, one, we're all hopped up like we're hopped up on Red Cordial mm-hmm. uh, from watching this new Star Wars trailer a thousand times today. Mm-hmm. And, and we're all completely stuffed, stuffed because we just, we just had, had Thanksgiving. So really happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy destroyed. Thanksgiving. Also, I'm a little tipsy and I'm still drinking. So <laughs> he is. He is. I am actually. I have the the. Uh, sorry, if you if you're sitting, as Greg Proops would say, if you're sitting in your blanket fort at home, children, put your fingers in your ears, for I am drinking James Squire 150 Lashes Pale Ale. And you um, have been for the last couple of hours. And I have been for when, the last couple of hours. When they do the news, I'm going to go get a cider. <laughs> and uh, one of the and I'm talking about one of my favourite books of all time. So I'm going to get a little gushy. Uh, in the next it's hour It's been a good so. week. It's been a very, very good week. Uh, but, fellas, I'm going to take us back because I want to get straight into the vintage clip this week. So I've got a very special clip which should be familiar to some of the documentaries that we've been watching in the last couple of weeks. Within this unsuspecting city, history's greatest experiment creates tomorrow's greatest superhero, Spider-Man, the movie. A live-action spectacular directed by Joe Zito, based on the characters created by Stan Lee. In cinemas, never. Yeah, never got made. <laughs> that was, I mean, we've been watching a lot of canon films lately because of the, uh, the documentary Electric Boogaloo. The untold story of canon films? Or is it just the, the wild? The wild and untold, untold story, story of canon films, which uh, go and look that film up because it's magnificent. It's available on DVD and Blu ray. And by all means, follow them on Facebook. Because yes. at the moment, they're actually running through, they're putting up about two posts a day at the moment of unproduced canon films. Films, and you get, yeah. And they show the posters poster and, and trailers then, if they have yeah, them. It is. It's, like an, that, it's an yeah. amazing Facebook feed, so definitely go follow That them. trailer actually got screened. It was one of the things that, uh, you know, um, uh, Canon Films put out as their their ad for what they were going to make, mm-hmm. that they were intending to make, and not a scary of footage had been shot. I, I have to say that the <laughs> Joseph Zito moment is almost as good as the Payoon moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Directed by Joseph Zito. I imagine if it did get made, it would have had Chuck Norris in it. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Bronson as Uncle Ben or something. <laughs> Hey, you know Peter. <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> um, I made myself laugh. Oh, that was uh, great. Should we uh, go straight on to what we've been reading? Because uh, I really want to talk about the vintage, uh, the vintage peak, the kick-ass peak of the week. Yes, I am drinking. <laughs> well, looks like we got ourselves a reader. Read between the lines, bitch. It's been 
a strange week for new releases. Probably the one that impressed us the most, I'd say, would be Gotham by Midnight. A very surprising book, actually. <laughs> yeah, this is the new uh, Ray Fawkes, Ben Templesmith book. Uh, and we were thinking, first of all, we are thinking, oh, all right, another, another Gotham Bat- spin-off. Off, yeah, another Batman. We need another Batman book, like a hole in the head. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, coincidentally, is what uh, uh, Martha and... Um, um, <laughs> too uh, Thomas soon, Wayne had. Too not soon. Too soon. It's been 75 years. Um, but, the uh, pearls, not the, the pearls. The pearls, yeah. Uh, which, you know, we, we actually heard recently that um, the, uh, what do you call it, the new Zack Snyder film, uh, Batman vs. Superman. Uh, <laughs> Dawn of Justice. It's off the mark. <laughs> You'll edit it, right? You're going to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Live to hard drive. I was thinking dude. in my head, like, something, they should make a villain for Batman called Pearl Man. And, like, one of the like one of those pearls, like, you Rolls know, off, scatters radiated. into a gutter. You know <laughs> Jonathan Kent picks it up. It goes. It goes in strange places. No, from no, there. no. Pearl but face. The, pearl face. Excellent. Come on, now that's just silly. <laughs> he didn't have a. He didn't have any enemies silly like that, like Quilt Man or no, anything. Come on. No, okay. He, he, he just he just throws pearls at your neck. Oh dear. <laughs> oh, my mind goes into horrible places when you I say that. I think it was meant to. Uh, but I think in that they're actually retelling um, Bruce's um, origin story again, the, the the Wayne murders again, which is weird because we've just got Gotham. The whole point of Gotham is meant to be the not origin. showing the origin. Well, no, it's it's showing not showing the origin, <laughs> but showing the uh, the murders again, and, and that is a catalyst for Gotham. Mm-hmm. So it's just weird, and you, you would have thought the the best strategy for the CW if they were actually well, not CW, sorry, for for uh, WB would be to, if they were coordinating their television and movie efforts, which they don't seem to be, mm. would be to use Gotham, and I think you suggested this one today, if use Gotham as a entree to... Except we uh, should point out that the Gotham isn't a WB show. It's it a, is sorry, Fox yeah. show. I meant yeah. Warner Brothers is yeah. the mothership, generally mm. speaking, the DC Entertainment mothership. Anyway, Gotham they by seem, Midnight. They seem really against it, don't they? With this they whole, like, Gilmer Del Toro handing in a Justice League dark script, yeah. and they're saying, like, well, that's going to be separate from the... Constantine. The, the other they sort. don't well, like some news about Constantine. Well, not even separate from Constantine, but separate from like the universe in general. Yeah, it's it's a very weird thing. And like, the fact, why would you bother? You and know? I think and Stephen Amell, who does uh, who's Arrow, Green Arrow, um, he actually very publicly said he thought it was a really bonehead move to uh, launch a new Flash TV series, and just before you do that, announced that they were going to make a new Flash movie yeah, yeah. with a completely different actor. He was very anti that. He, he was, was very angry because he's very protective of that 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 television universe and Ooh. rightfully so because mm. those guys made it like when there was no interest in the show like there was very little and he actually said he has no problem with and there being a cinematic flash yeah. and a TV flash just don't do it at the same time mm. yeah because it really shows he's no basically faith. saying it's an insult to Grant Gustin yeah. who's doing an amazing job over there on the flash anyway um, back to Gotham by Gotham Midnight. by Midnight is a great show it's Ray Fawkes uh, Ben Templesmith uh, and Ben Templesmith Australian artist uh, amazing artwork if you've seen any of his stuff um, this is this is Gotham after dark effectively. This is the uh, I guess the supernatural, the the unexplained mysteries. It's kind of X Files meets, and it's really good. It's it's a dark it's, story. It's um, and it's, it starts with that whole tropey beginning of the yeah, you know in, yeah. internal affairs is turned up to shut them down. How because, are you guys spending your money? Because we don't understand what you're doing, and he, they basically say, "Follow us and see if you mm. can understand it." And then it goes into this very dark. There's four people on the team. One's a nun. <laughs> and yeah. it's like they they go and they deal with the supernatural. Yeah. And I think we're also getting um we're getting hints none, that, when he, the nun turns that's that's what <laughs> we're saying. Yeah. We're we're getting hints that one of them might be the specter or at least they touched, mentioned touched the specter. By the specter. They said, you know about the specter, don't you? Yeah. yeah. yeah so because one that. of them can seem to read supernatural in the case files. Yeah. It's a really fascinating book. So I'm I'm in. This yeah, is, me this too. Is, I'm this is all in. and this is the sort of stuff that DC should be doing. Kind yes. of like really Let more of this, less Arkham Manor. Less Arkham Manor, which also got a second issue of that came out this week. And again, it's a very uh, straightforward uh, Batman mm. story. But um, I really like stuff like um, uh, Arkham Academy, on the mm. other hand, which is, which is uh, sorry, Gotham Academy, rather, yeah. uh, which is actually a clever concept using the Batman world, but actually doing something different for new all-ages audience. Um, now, the other debut that we were paying attention to this week is, of course, Odyssey, um, O-D-Y hyphen C. Uh, it's a new image title book, uh, image comics title, uh, by Matt Fraction, and we of course love his work on Hawkeye. 
baffled by. I some love of his Hawkeye. I love his work on Hawkeye. Really like his work on Sex Criminals. Yes. Um, I gotta say, with this book, um, and look, it's obviously not for me. And all I'm gonna say is, it was really felt a little bit like his wife Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh, her pretty deadly. pretty deadly moment. This felt like his pretty deadly moment. Well, look, you know, again, I admire <sighs> that he's trying something a bit different. This is effectively a retelling of Homer's The Odyssey, gender swapped. In outer, space. Um, in outer space. The thing is, when you start telling classic heroes of mythology in space, that's Thor, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's... it's. Yeah, you're waiting for Beta Ray Bill to fly it in. It really is. Point. It has yeah. that sort of feel of kind of um, um, Asgard floating in space and they're all emerging. And Look... Except in this case, I it's like, Olympus. I, I, yeah. I like the concept. I like, I like the idea of that because that kind of myth and legend appeals so to me. it's so confusingly written. It's very confusing. I... I found it confusingly written, but I also found it. How do I say pretentious without saying pretentious? You say pretentious. I say pretentious. Yeah. It, it does, and I don't like. I like Matt Fraction, and, and I know lo- he's intellectual. Yeah. And I love the fact that there is an intellectual writer in comics. But one of the other factors here is but, there wasn't a, there wasn't a humor bone to be found. No, I mean there was just. I mean because there was potential for, for there was, and you could you could at least have levity. Light, if light, not. No, the yeah. levity. That's what I'm saying. You just mm. kind of lighten the mood a little bit. Otherwise, it just becomes. And I, you know, if this is for our Australian listeners, it just becomes wank, you yeah. know. And that's all it felt like. It just it's felt like, like reading it, Wagner. <laughs> you know, yes. it's just you know, it's like I'm reading a comic book. I don't actually want to read the Odyssey. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like, and, and it's kind of and it's a little uh, to use one of our favorite words here. It's a little didactic as yeah, well because it does bit. really, really, expl- you know, spend. And once again, there is going to be a market out it there. It lets for you this, know so. that it knows its mythology. Yeah, like it reminds you at every opportunity it can get. Hey, we know what we're talking about. We know our myths. Um, couple not, of other not, not a book for me. No, not a book for me either. But a couple of the other ones that came out this week that, that sort of are in our wheelhouse. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, number one. Uh, despite the title, is not an adaptation of the new, the most recent film. Uh, instead, um, it's actually a bridging story between Rise of the Planet of the Apes and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So they couldn't come up with another word for Let Dawn. Let me or guess, Rise. IDW. <laughs> It is ODW. Yes. Um, <laughs> They're the kings of the license. Kings of the license. Well, they've had. They've actually kept the. They've they've published more Planet of the Apes comics than the old the original nineteen uh, seventies Planet that of the Apes. That was Marvel, comics. wasn't it? The original. Couldn't they just have yeah. called it like yeah. Origins yeah. or something? They could. Have, yeah, they could have called it Origins. But effectively, it's it's Malcolm and um, as his wife is dying because I think she's dead by the start of. Um, Dawn of the Planet of the mm, Apes mm. Um, and it's kind of her contracting the disease and going from there and trying to make their simultaneously showing the breakdown of Caesar and uh, his, his his fellow apes and how the seeds of that sort of conflict within his little group. Unfortunately so far it hasn't done anything at least dramatically that the movie didn't do like we knew that these conflicts existed like we knew and, and they do a really can, good job of explaining it there's a reason why that. we didn't need the movie in between we kind I of like we kind the of fact got that it. it i like the fact that the, the second movie leapt forward 10 years mm. absolutely that was my favorite thing about the film actually it's not my favorite thing i love and all the film, you needed was but. the all you needed was the end credit sequence from rise yeah 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 and then this saying 10 years later you know what happened yeah exactly yeah. right so look you know well written well illustrated but i'm not quite sure we need it. Spo- spoilers the apes took over the world yep Yep, that happened. Uh, the, and the humans uh, died of a virus. Now, no, <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest release this week it has to be Angry Birds Transformers. Um, Let which, me guess, IDW. <laughs> do, they, it, it do, they just, do they just like fling birds at the robots? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The, the they both the uh, what do you call it? What's the 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 spark? The spark lands. Oh, the all spark. The all spark. The sorry. all spark. It lands in. It falls out of the Transformers universe and it falls into uh, Angry Birds universe. And the Angry Birds, well, actually, no, it's the the Angry Birds or the Pigs, one of the two, I can't remember, get it. And they start, tra- they basically f- uh, form into versions of the Decepticons and the Autobots in their own little universe ah. and they start battling each other. Um, so I don't know if the rest of it's going to be Transformers-y or Angry Birds-y, <laughs> but the opening couple of pages are like proper Transformers. It's kind of like Gru versus Conan. Right. They kind of have this mixture of serious you know, this Transformers. This is actually one crossover art. I might read. So, that, so <laughs> yeah. the, the Angry Birds are Transformers. Yes. They become Transformers. Oh. Now, the reason they've done this, it's not just someone going, you know, sitting around There's the office. There's a opera. game coming, right? There's a game out. Yeah. yeah. It's not someone just sitting around the office. You know what would be really good? <laughs> if we, Angry Birds. If we uh, mixed up Angry Birds don't you with the Transformers, be... pass the giant sandwich. <laughs> 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 want to be in the writer's room of IDW sometimes yeah. to, to, when they're sitting there working out these crossovers. <laughs> you sit there going, yeah, you guys. What, 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 X-Files what meets 
I don't know, get okay. smart. Genius. No, 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 no. We'll, <laughs> we'll, I'll, I'll use you two guys and we'll play this game right now. First show that comes to mind, Richard. Uh, Murder, She Wrote. Dave, first show uh, that comes to mind. There you go. Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> love, on the love boat. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably been done. Actually. I mean, it probably has, yeah. Uh, I'll quickly mention another book uh, called Shadow Show, um, which is definitely one in your wheelhouse, uh, Dave, because uh, it is uh, – Stories inspired by Ray Bradbury. Ooh, um, ooh, I like and the, this. Uh, the first one is written by, wait for it, the legend, wait for it, <laughs> uh, Derry, uh, author of Lock and Key, Joe Hill. Now, this is based on a, there was a collection of short stories a few years ago um, where they actually did them as short stories. This is an adaptation of his short story, but it's a beautiful little story about. Uh, memory, loss, childhood, and so forth. The sort of stuff that Joe Hill does really well. I'm sorry, well. Dave, what was that? Oh. So I think uh, I'll, I'll, I'll sling you a copy of this because I think Please, you really like yeah. it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It. It's a very, very cool book. I love Ray Bradbury, so that's... that's yeah. The, and, and Joe Hill, The obviously. combination of Ray yeah. Bradbury and Joe Hill, I think, would, would make you elicit that sound. Um, <laughs> the other thing I'll quickly mention that came out this week is Superior Iron Man 2 because there's a really uh, awesome... Uh, confrontation between um, Daredevil and Iron Man or Tony Stark. Uh, some really interesting developments with the extremist powers and a twist ending that uh, I didn't see coming, So, which Tom Taylor is incredibly good at. And one of my favourite things in this issue is that t- um, Tony Stark is now so egotistical, he no longer has Stark Tower, he has Stark Island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's taken over Alcatraz. <laughs> <laughs> and built this huge. Um, this uh, is awesome. That's he's built awesome. this like huge. What do you call it? Like a um, a high tech complex over um, Alcatraz now. Is it? Wasn't this the 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 tris- Triskelion? What the call, what's it called again? Triskelion. Triskelion. Yeah, <laughs> it was in Cap Two. They pronounced it, and I've forgotten the yeah, pronunciation. Yeah, me too. I wait for the movies and the TV shows to come out so I know how to pronounce things. <laughs> so that's why I'm waiting. Yeah, hey, we're still waiting on Attilan or Atalan. Atalan. Yeah, we yeah. want to see what you know. The city is all we know it is now. Yeah. I've, always, I've always said Attilan. I've always, I've always said, said Adelan. I've always mm. said Attilan as well. Mm. So I think we're right just by numbers. Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. yeah. And I'm always yeah. wrong anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yay! Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Who runs the Marvel department again? The movie, the TV department? Uh, uh, that'd be Jeff Loeb, isn't Jeff it? Jeff Loeb, yeah. yeah. Or Jeff Leb. <laughs> There's definitely an O in there. It's Loeb. Uh, Loeb. Now we've got to wait uh, for him to correct us. Uh, next week, uh, David, I haven't actually watched it yet, but you said The Flash this week is excellent. Flash this week was great. It was actually, uh, uh, let's face it, I mean, The Flash is using DC variations of what, we're, what we know of as Marvel characters. Uh, we've got uh, last week, we basically had a guy that was like Cyclops, not Cyclops, uh, Colossus, mm. who could turn into metal. This week is basically a guy like Electro. <laughs> um, but it was really interesting because the, the episode was about him siphoning off the Flash Force Ooh. from Barry Allen so he didn't have any powers anymore. That's and then, interesting. And then having to deal with that. And it was really, really interesting because it was, A, you had um, Professor what, Dr. Wells. Is yes. That? Yeah, Dr. Wells basically getting very frustrated because... Barry needs to have his powers because mm. I get, I think we know where that's heading. Played by Tom Cavanaugh of Tom and Mike Eat Snacks. Yes. And uh, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Pol- <laughs> Podcast Billafort. And, and the um, show Ed. Remember and the Ed? show Ed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other person, of course, was uh, Barry Allen himself, who's come to the realization that even Played by he, Grant Gustin of Glee, <laughs> <laughs> even though he's only had his powers for a short period of time, he suddenly realized that he's that's very much part of him. Yes. And so it's uh, it's a it's a morality morality tale, and it was really good. Uh, he he gets an obligatory mention every episode, which is John D. Mm. Uh, who mentioned to me this week it's contractual, said, contractual. It? Yeah, we, he's got to sign into a pretty airtight contract. Uh, but he was saying that he he was feeling that he loves the Flash, but he thought there's a little bit of a, a first season of Smallville vibe in that almost every single one of the villains is created by the same thing that created. Yes. Um, the Flash. Well, it's Smallville. Like, it, like Smallville, every uh, villain was created Buffy. by the and early Buffy. It's uh, what they almost, call uh, Freak of the Week. Yeah, but almost every villain in Smallville was created by the media shower. Correct. You know, so it's kind of the same sort of thing. So it'll be good to see, and I think um, we've got the crossover next week and they've teased Boomerang. Um, so it'll be good to see some, some of the original DC villains that are kind of unrelated to mm. that, that event just sort of suddenly crop up. And I think once they start crossing over with... Um, Arrow and the Flash, they can start cross-pollinating. We also had, in this week's Flash, um, an Arrow villain as well. We had uh, the Clockmaster. Ah, um, William Tockman. Yes. He was, the, he clock, was he the Clock King, I think you'll Clock find. King, thank you. That's the one I wanted. So the Clock King also made an appearance in mm. it as well. So, 
I don't know who's the king of. I don't know if it's a, if of it, clocks. Apparently. If it's a hereditary title, if it's, uh, <laughs> if it's one of those constitutional monarchies, and he walks, I just, ra- I really and, don't and know. He walks around going, oh, "No thanks, man. I'm not into time." <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that's what we've been reading watching next week uh, there will be the releases on the 3rd of December because I can't believe we're up to December already mm. uh, we've got and this is this is one that's in all of our wheelhouses Escape from New York number one from Boom Boom Studios <laughs> uh, there's a new Vertigo title called. hey look it's not from IDW <laughs> no is this one like um, not a remake of Escape from New York but it's a one that bridges New York and LA, LA together yeah. <laughs> it's Escape from the Midwest uh, yeah. yeah have you guys been reading just on a sidebar <laughs> mm, sidebar, sidebar. Um, uh, just on the sidebar, have you guys Escape been reading the, the comic book? <laughs> <laughs> um, Shop full of nuts. Um, the the uh, comic book adaptation or the continuing adventures of Jack Burton, the uh, Big Trouble in Little China comic? No. No. It's, uh, it's, it's, I think it's issue six it's up to And now. it's because of, it's the same people, uh, well, Boom do it, and they're saying because of the success of that, yeah. they decided to do another Big Trouble in Little China, another China John Carpenter is really funny. Escape from New York, it's that really kind of funny. stuff could really kill it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Escape from New York should have been a comic book a long Remember time. Remember that, ago. like that mythical, like Escape from Earth, the third film yeah, in the yeah. series. They oh, made it. It yeah. was called. What was the thing with Guy Pearce? Ah, uh, that's not no, because it's Earth is a prison and we live no, off world. I'm joking. I'm not. <laughs> John Carpenter, please. The uh, Escape from LA. That storyline just left me unfulfilled. Escape Come from on. LA was garbage. <laughs> I want to know the completion. I want. I, I want. I want to know what happens to Pliskin. <laughs> That's because nobody ever leaves LA. <laughs> um, Wolf Moon is a new Vertigo title coming out. I think from Cullen Barn is writing that one. So it'll be uh, great to see Vertigo still churning out new books. Uh, Shaft. Shut your mouth. Yeah, another <laughs> 1970s adaptation. That's uh, IDW? Dynamite. Oh, Dynamite. Dynamite, okay. Dynamite oh, Dynamite's the other one. Yes, sorry. Uh, I want you all to go check out Tooth and Claw number one because Tooth and Claw number two comes out next week. It's a really, really good series. Um Two new number ones from Marvel next week. Wow, this is a tough save. Okay, there's Angela as sorry, this is a tough one. Angela Asgard's assassin. When did Angela start coming from Asgard? Well, she I don't know. She's working for them now. Oh, okay. she was with the Guardians for a while. So no, I know, was. but I don't think that was originally her origin was being Norse. No, she was for a different company. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to try that again. Angela, Asgard's assassin. There should have been a colon in there, I think. Yeah, or it should have um, been like assassin of Asgard. <laughs> <laughs> um, Asgard's assassin, comma, Angela. I want to <laughs> semicolon, Angela. <laughs> Can I tell you, I really want to read the next one. The next one I'm really looking forward to. It's Jim Starlin's Thanos versus Hulk. Yeah, I think you're going to see that. It says Hulk. <laughs> Thanos versus Hulk. Um, I'm looking forward to that because Jim Starlin's killing it at the moment with the Thanos stuff. So because we did Thanos Imperative, uh, no, no Infinity something, uh, Infinity Go- no, no, no Infinity Revelation, Gauntlet. Re- thank Revelation, you. Thank, you. Yeah, there thank you. you, Thanos Infinity Revelation. A couple of weeks. Could see Jim Starlin back? Yeah, doing stuff. Back you know? in purple. <laughs> There's gonna be a lot of Da-da-da-da. purple between Green and purple. between Thanos's chin and and uh, Hulk's pants. Yeah, there's gonna be a hell of a lot of purple in that episode. I hope those two come together. Soon. <laughs> those <laughs> kids deserve each other. Yeah. <laughs> we should try on each other's clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and so they come together at the end. That's, that's that. I've, that's I've sorry. I've spoiled issue four of that. Uh, that's a four issue miniseries. So I think when that's done, it's one we're gonna have to do just for the fun of it. Oh yeah. As as a as a pick of the week. But for now, it's. Time Time for some news headlines. And Marvel has announced the the three-part series Ultron Forever for 2015, featuring different eras of the Avengers time-travelling and going up against Ultron in Avengers Ultron Forever, New Avengers Ultron Forever, and, wait for it, Uncanny Avengers Ultron Forever. DC has announced a third wave of their Convergence titles, including Dan Abnett's take on The Flash and the return of Marv Wolfman to Teen Titans and Len Wein to The Swamp Thing. Uh, Michelle McLaren has officially signed on to direct Wonder Woman for Warner. She's best known for her TV work on Game of Thrones, The Walking Dead, and Breaking Bad. Oscar Isaac has been cast in X-Men Apocalypse in the titular role of Apocalypse. Gives us an excuse to talk about Star Wars. Constantine will reportedly halt production after its 13th episode. Unlucky 13. Although they haven't ruled out a second season as yet. Boo. (laughs) Producer Greg Berlanti isn't ruling out Supergirl from being able to enter the worlds of Arrow and The Flash, despite being on a different network. And finally, writer and friend of Behind the Panels, Paul Bedford, has officially confirmed via his new blog that he is working on The List 2. Funnily enough, a sequel... 
to the list. Wow, I didn't know. I didn't put that together. We're we're big fans of Paul's, and I'm looking forward to his uh, new stuff coming out. Um, the list is is one of our favorite Australian graphic, well, one of our favorite graphic novels. Uh, we, it's dark, man. We it is dark. We met Paul a couple of years ago at Supernova. We've been, had him on the show since. Run into him at cons regularly down in Melbourne and so He's forth. He's good value. He's very good value. Uh, good bloke. Go if you haven't bought the list already, go and buy it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Support you, Paul. In one, you'll way. be ready for the list. Two, it's the only Australian graphic novel I believe that's been optioned for a uh, film deal. Um, and he's currently working on the screenplay for that as well. So Can we also talk about Greg Berlanti saying that Supergirl might be able to enter the world of Yeah, Final that's Plus. interesting. That is actually, there is precedence for this, because if you remember in the last two seasons of Buffy, Buffy and Angel, yeah. uh, Buffy was on uh, UPN and Angel was on the WB. That's right. And now, they had crossovers, so... Now, look, this isn't normally our bag on this show, but because it's probably the biggest geek thing in the world. And there's Oscar Isaac. And Oscar Isaac is an excuse, as we said. Um, We're very excited about this. That's right. J.J. Abrams' Battlestar Galactica film coming out <laughs> shortly. <clears throat> no, look, um, I was I was kind of... Look, I remember 99 kids uh, when we all waited patiently for the Phantom Menace. Trailer. I remember 77 kids. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's because you're old, David. I remember 1997, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the thing is, uh, I, you know, this could have gone either way, right? And we, we all... The, the trailer broke at about 2.30 a.m. Um, Australian time. Um, I was actually up because I was doing radio this morning, but we all made a pack to wait and watch it together on David's big screen. And we sat down at about midday today. So a good, you know, 10 hours after the rest of the world. Fired up the 5.1. Fired up the 5.1. Struggled with several dodgy streams of this thing. (laughs) Finally sat down and watched this. The there is footage exists somewhere of what we all look like when we're watching. <laughs> Which this we'll, for the never first time. we'll never see. We'll never see the light of day, yeah. but because we're stone silent for the first half of it, because we're just stunned in awesomeness. Um, again, look, uh, there will be a whole range of Star Wars comics out next year, so we can we can we can justify this conversation. We are going to record uh, a little. Um uh, 10 minute, 15 minute analysis of this trailer, what mm. we actually thought and so forth. But we just thought we'd throw this in here just to say this is something special. This is, look, this is Star Wars. This is more Star Wars than any of the prequels, mm. uh, which, David, you said your favorite tweet of the day happened to be about. Oh, <laughs> yes, some young lady tweeted, so there's a fourth Star Wars film? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which kind of sums up my feeling. This, this, this trailer makes you forget the prequels. So, look, uh, more on that and the film actually kind of one shot special. We're doing a trailer blip special, whatever we're going to call it. We don't oh, know I have what no we'll idea. It it's it, just going to be something. Look for it on the Geek Actually and, and Film Actually feeds. Um, we're very excited uh, by this film, as most of the world is. Um, I'm looking at this trailer here now. The movie clips trailer alone has had 15 million views. And then it uh, came out this morning. And then so. it came out this morning. So it's been less than 24 hours in the world. And this is going to be huge. This is the Star Wars we wanted to see back in 99. Can I also point out that it's had 139,000 thumbs up and only 6,000 thumbs down. So yeah, those 6,000 people are, are trolls. trolls. <laughs> it's one guy who's, who's really bitter that they didn't have that little bit at the start of the, the trailer saying, from the creator of Star Wars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the so, assholes who were like, you know, oh, leeching on nostalgia. See, I didn't get to see Luke. Uh, I've already seen Star Wars six times already. Oh, I don't want to see it again. <laughs> yeah, where's, Make, the, where's the originality? Where, where's the Wookiee? Where's the copy of something else? Now, uh, oh, it's just a shameless gender, gender swapping. <laughs> you know, it's it's time to call out great flaming arrows because it's time <laughs> for the kick-ass pick of the week. Well, see how you like this. What is it, Batman? Whatever it is, it's it's awfully funny. <laughs> it's the pick of the week. Oliver Queen has recently given up his trick arrows and hard-traveling ways and moved to Seattle with his partner in crime, Dinah Lance. As a killer stalks the streets, Ollie is about to run headlong into a world of violence that will shake his own life and introduce him to the mysterious shadow. Written and illustrated by Mike Grell, the seminal 1987 miniseries solidified the modern version of Green Arrow and laid the groundwork for his first ongoing series. Ditching the high camp of the previous decade with a story ripped straight from the headlines, it would go on to serve as the inspiration for the Arrow TV series. 
Today is the first day of the rest of his life. This is Green Arrow, the Longbow Hunters. Any excuse to play that music, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, it is. Now, because of that music, Green Arrow is now a known character. We we now have. And I want to put this in context for you because this is 1987, and now Green Arrow is in the third season of his own TV show. He has an ongoing series. He has an ongoing digital series. He's in things like Justice League United. There are toys. He makes uh, animated appearances. All those sorts of things. The, he, he is a visible character now. In 1987, uh, the character had been around since 1941. Now, try and imagine this. He had he didn't have, not once in those uh, 40-something years, his own series at any stage in that. And uh, Crisis was the year before, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, 1986. And there was an opportunity that came along uh, to reinvent and reintroduce characters in their own new series. Now... The, I, I refer to what I've done, those of you who have been to the site a lot, um, behindthepanels.net, there is a big green button on the right-hand side of the page, The History of Green Arrow, which I have just finished writing, um, over 30,000 words in seven parts. Um, I'm, I'm a big Green Arrow fan. So this is my personal pick because this is the book that in many ways made the modern Green Arrow. And I'm very excited by this book. You can imagine Green Arrow fans who had not really had much in the way of their own book he'd been in backup series he'd been in um uh detective comics action comics adventure comics more fun comics for years as a backup story he'd been uh he'd been partnered with green lantern his longest the closest thing he had to his own series was co-sharing green lantern series and which promptly got he got dropped from uh, by the end of that series and just returned to being a green lantern series um there was a four issue miniseries in the early 80s by uh, mike barr and trevor von eden uh, which was uh, a wonderful series that preempted a lot of the work that uh, Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino did uh, most recently on the book. But this book did two things. One, you'll probably notice when you go through it that he's never called Green Arrow um, throughout the book. It put Green Arrow into the real world, took him completely away from the rest of the DCU and made him stand on his own two feet. Um, it also paved the way for what ultimately became um, Mike Grell's historic 80-issue stand in what followed to be the first ongoing series that ran from 1988 through to the mid-90s, I think it was, uh, the series that ultimately killed the original Green Arrow. So this series is really, really special and really, really important in the history of Green Arrow, Um, not to mention being one of the best written Green Arrow stories, one of the best written comic stories, full stop. I don't think I'm jumping in the gun and saying that we will be playing a certain clip (laughs) Um, at the end of uh, this uh, uh, essay that I'm about to launch into. Sorry, this is the boring, preachy part, um, as the aforementioned Greg Proops might say. Um, I love this book, but there was a guy named Mike Gold who was an editor at DC at the time who uh, brought Mike Grell over. They'd worked together on a lot of independent stuff. And Mike Grell was like, I want to work on something over DC. I kind of like Batman. There's no one else I'm really interested in. And he gave him a chance to to look at um, Green Arrow. And uh, apparently he was saying things like uh, he'd worked previously um, on on some of the Green Green Lantern, Green Arrow runs. So he was familiar with the character. But he had this idea of Green Arrow being an urban hunter. The idea that he wasn't, you know, Robin Hood in tights and he wasn't running around. He wasn't goofy. I mean, let's face it, the 70s Green Arrow stuff can get pretty goofy at times. So he had the idea of making him a real world character. Uh, within a real relationship, which is what I love about this book. He's in a real relationship with Dinah. Um, they're trying to make their way, uh, they open a florist and uh, they get caught up in something bigger than themselves. And that's what I wanted to introduce this book as, as it being superheroes in the real world because it laid the groundwork for pretty much all those sort of realistic books that have sort of come since, including the TV series. So much so the TV series in the first season um, of Arrow has a judge called Judge Grell. Mm. Um, so much that that series owes to this book. Um, so that's uh, my kind of big initial kind of response to this book, and that's why it's so important to me. That's why I made it my personal pick. Guys, uh, I know, Dave, this is your second read-through. Mm-hmm. David, I'll start with you because this is your first read-through. This, this is book my that you never first read-through. Now, we should, we should start off by saying this is the first of 
three episodes, mm-hmm. which are our personal picks. We did this last year yes. as well. Um, and I so, picked a Green Arrow book last year too. Of course. And, <laughs> and a damn good one as well. Mm. Uh, as my first read through on this, I didn't really know what to expect. I've actually had this kicking around for quite some time. Mm. And it's one of those books where you keep going, I need to read that. Yes. And just never getting to it. I've got mini books like that, as you know, the old saying, it's on my iPad. (laughs) This has actually been sitting on my iPad for a good seven months now, uh, waiting for me to read it. And I haven't gotten around to it. Um, So when I actually started reading it, I actually polished it off in a day, Mm. um, the three issues. Because once you start reading it, it feels like 70s, early 80s crime noir. Yes. And you kind of get locked into this gritty street, almost Jack the Ripper kind of story to start mm. with, uh, or Son of Sam, as the case might have been, because of it yeah. being in that sort of There's time There's a couple period. of parallel stories running through it, but it kicks yeah. off with that that slasher running through the streets of Seattle kind of thing. Which turns out to be a red heron yes. in the great scheme of things, because really that's got nothing to do with the later part of the book. It's a MacGuffin. It, it's a MacGuffin, and it really is just to bring Shadow yes. into, into the book, who, for those who have seen the TV series, it's a very different Shadow. Mm, <laughs> mm. Um, but this is a really, really interesting read. Uh, it's got a really uh, down and dirty, and I don't mean this disparagingly in any way, down and dirty art style. No, no, I think very, so. Very sketchy so. style, yeah. and I love that. I think it suits the book Absolutely perfectly. But other times it can be absolutely stunningly beautiful. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And you can actually um, see the influences for Lemire's run yes. um, with the black and white panels and yes. things not quite, you know, the panels not really lining up with each yes. other. And it's, yes. look, this is a stunning book. And if I wasn't a Green Arrow fan to start with, because I think Quiver had already kind of brought me into that world, mm. um, this book would do it. I could understand why this led into an 80. 80- an 80 book series. Well, it actually went into a hundred and something book series, but Mike Grell personally did 80 right. of the, the, series, the, the books that followed and about seven annuals as well. Yeah. So. Look, this is, this is great stuff and it actually does make me want to go and mm. continue on Dave, with this series. Dave, your initial reactions to the book? Uh, like, I remember about two years ago when I first started doing this podcast with you guys like, yeah. kind of properly that you know I, I found out you were a Green Arrow fan was one of the first conversations we properly had. Yeah. I bet it was one of those things. I, I don't remember for sure, but I bet it was like, are you like Green Arrow? Yeah. And you were like, do I like Green Arrow? <laughs> Have we <No>. met? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then like, you know, the mobile phone would come up. We'd see all the, the photos of your collections. Yeah, and, yeah, You know, yeah. all these things. And so you recommended to me to do Longbow Hunters. Did. Yeah. Uh, because my extent of knowledge for Green Arrow is literally just the Dark Knight uh, returns. Mm. Like the, oh, the, the, li- one ar- the one armed Ollie. The one armed Ollie. And, uh, before, I think. Yeah. And I never read Quiver. I'd always wanted to, but I'd I'd known about Ollie from Quiver. Mm. And this was, of course, before Arrow was a show. Was you know, the mm. I think the show was even just coming down the pipeline. Yeah. I think or it had not even been announced or anything like that. Yeah. No, the the show didn't come out till like October two thousand twelve. So yeah. Because yeah. I re- I read this two years ago when you first mentioned it. Like, if you want to intro into Green Arrow, get this. Mm. And like, this is an unbelievable book. Yeah, it was then. It is now. It's a great intro to comics. Full stop. Yeah. I think, you know? and yeah. it's it's like, you know, I always I'm the guy that's always harping on about like I love the superhero stories that don't have to have like epic battles and yes. you know like the deal with the character side of things, the the blase almost the the real people kind mm. of thing. And this book is like steeped in that. And how he really does it really well is the the artwork because it has a different style for the really like powerful, impactful moments. Mm. And a different style for like the intimate moments, but just mm. Dinah and Ollie together in bed, for example, mm. which is what I yeah. love about this book. It's got and the brutality. Really... Now, this this like, this is a this was a mature reader's book. Yeah, uh, back yeah. when they were just starting to introduce. In fact, and it's still even rough for today's standards. I think yeah. too, like the way that you're you're reading superheroes dealing with like crack cocaine, like at, like at a point like someone actually ingests crack. Yeah, yeah, and then Ollie smashes the pipe and. You know, yeah. let alone the the abuse towards women and the the implications yeah. see, the there. The scene with Dinah is the blood. rough. It's like yeah. extremely rough. rough. You I- never, ever, ever, <clears throat> ever see, and it's worth stressing. You never ever see that in superhero comics. Can I, can never. I just, uh, I'll address two things I want to say there. One, I really love the fact that they they call it crack because. Mm. Um, how how many times in a movie or a TV series have they gone? Yes, it's it's Angel Thirty Seven that yeah, they've yeah. ingested. It's like made up some name of a drug, so kids at home don't go out to the back alley dealer and get some uh, crack. Um, but 
But there was a director's commentary that he wrote in 2006, which is no longer available on the web, but of course I've archived a copy of it being the obsessive nerd that I am and, and, <laughs> and researching, I tracked down a copy of it. And he actually talks about what he what he's trying to do with those two contrasting things. Grell says, I did what any decent soap opera writer would do. I started with a perfectly happy couple and royally screwed up their lives. Mm. And then he goes on to talk about that that violence. Now, a lot of people say that Dinah is raped in that scene. A lot of people just remember it that way. She's not. Uh, she's tortured. She's tortured. She's and in fact, you never actually see her being cut. <laughs> I on think there is actually insinuation that she's about to be, be raped. Mm. Well, she's never actually, or maybe rape was never on the cards, but um, the, the, you never actually see her being cut on panel. She's mm. obviously clearly been abused. She's clearly been tortured uh, for oh, a couple of days. And she's hospitalized by the end of it. This is what Grell said in, in relation to that. I set out to create a situation that would change Ollie from the avowed pacifist to a man capable of killing if it's justified. There's a transition in one panel from the easygoing Errol Flynn Robin Hood to a man capable of killing coldly and violently. Now, I think what's really interesting about that scene as well, this is basically uh, to set it up, uh, Dinah's gone off investigating this drug ring. Ollie's kind of following up another aspect to it. It leads into this whole very much like an Iran-Contra kind of affair thing involving the CIA and drug running and, and guns running and all that sort of thing. And the, the two cases cross over and, and he ends up having to go and rescue her uh, he's, he's very deliberately trying to stay away from her, thinking, no, she's capable of doing her own thing. I'm not going to interfere. But then, of course, she does get kidnapped and tortured because she didn't realise it was as big as it was. Um, he he turns up and sees her being tortured and without hesitation fires an arrow through the torturer. Mm. Historically, Green Arrow had only killed once before and this was back towards the end of the classic Green Lantern Green Arrow run and he actually went and spent some time in an ashram. The first time he went to the ashram, ultimately it was the same ashram where he went back to and met Connor Hawke, who turned out to be his son years later. Um, sidebar. Uh, but uh, Sidebar. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, years later, he'd only killed once before, and it was a major deal for him that the character and the character actually had to deal with that on panel. In in issues like the, he was always in somebody else's book, so I think it was issues the original Flash two seventeen to two two nineteen. He actually just went and he was dealing with the fact that he had killed somebody, and it really shook him up. Um, in this book as well, one of the things that Grell points out is that when he's fired the arrow through this guy, he almost you, you read it, he doesn't. Um, acknowledge the fact that there's a man standing there with an arrow through his chest. He just goes straight to Dinah because mm. he he is he's a single-minded he's singly he's singly minded when it comes to Dinah. Um, they've had these beautiful and and Grell set that up so well in this book because he's got all these scenes where it's the the two of them being intimate, wh- whether it's actually in bed, whether they're actually having sex, which is actually uh, portrayed on panel as well, mm-hmm. um, or whether it's just conversations, whether they're talking about their future, whether they're talking about kids. And it's a really great conversation, which is is wonderful. And there, um, Ollie's just like really he's because they've made Ollie older. They've made him forty two in this. That he's consciously made him an older guy. Ollie was always depicted as younger. They've, this is the start of Ollie being the slightly older guy. Um, they've made him forty two, and he's kind of going, "Well, what do I want to leave to the world?" And he says to Dinah, um, "I want to have kids." And she said, "I'd love to have your babies, but I'm not going to have your orphans because mm. the the." the the, the life we lead can only end one of two ways, you know, and, I, and I'd never ask you to give it up and you're not asking me to give it up. So, and it's kind of, it's just interesting it's something relationship. That, that is up until now, yeah, never really talked about mm. in superhero. I mean, no, Luke, Luke never. Cage and Jessica Jones went and had a baby. Yeah. But they never really talk about the fact that the baby is in terminal. Well, it's just, it's just know, like there the, is, there is the whole like implication of being a superhero in general and what that means for your life. Yeah. Right? Particularly in Grell's world, which is it's not superpowers. There's no canary cry. There's no canary cry. It's just the real world, and there are real killers out there. And he sets up this dirty, um, violent environment, like you were saying, Dave. Like it's a violent world that mm-hmm. Green Arrow's in, and to, to contrast that against this sort of pastel-coloured palace he's built for him, uh, like sort of castle almost that they've built, the Sherwood Florist. Yeah, which I should point out. Um, Made a, the Sherwood Florist made a cameo in a recent episode of Arrow. I oh, did it just, really? just as a throwaway kind of sign. He was standing next to the Sherwood <laughs> Florist sign. I really like that. But um, so yeah, I mean, look, this is a book I could gush about for hours. But uh, some of the main things I love about it are those those very things that you were talking about last week with Spider Man Blue, Dave. Mm. That it's 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 an Oliver Queen and, and Diana story to start with. Mm. Um, just as Spider Man Blue was a Peter Parker story, and and it develops into this. But then to bring it back to your thing, David. 
uh, where you were talking about it's like a seventies eighties action Ooh. film. The final act in this, uh, oh, book totally. three, hey. is yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's like the biggest. It's like we've done all the setup, we've done all the story, and then it just goes hell for leather in the biggest action scene you could possibly imagine. I also love the moment like. Um, Shooting the arrow to the bowstring, yeah, and snapping the, yes. the bowstring, yeah. Oh, I love. There's also that one shot where he shoots the arrow. She's holding, she's pointing a shot. He fires a shot that fires flies between her bowstring mm. and her bow to hit something else. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like the cross cross shooting well, each other. I love the way throughout this. He does it several times where he he has the juxtaposes scenes where it's like two hunters hunting different things. Yeah, and you're not quite sure who's hunting who and who's hunting what. So it almost looks sometimes though. Ollie's just shot somebody, but it's actually Shadow, or it's, yeah. it's or it's uh, the 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 um, Seattle Slashers uh, done it instead. Uh, that whole slasher thing is a is a motif that Kevin Smith borrowed in Quiver mm. uh, when he returns to Star City. That's a, a and, Star that's a, City and the slasher stuff is brutal. I mean, we've got that lovely opening scene, which is the undercover cop um, who is. They're using her as bait to bring out yes. the slasher. The cops don't pay attention for a few minutes, and then she gets slashed. Yeah. And it's like it's just rough as you it's, know. It's a brutal book, and it, and it's. I could be wrong about this, um, but I do remember reading that this was one of the books that actually helped them implement, uh, well, made them implement the mature readers line. In fact, uh, mm. Grell's ongoing Green Arrow might have been the first mature readers book uh, in 1988 for uh, a DC, uh, a mainstream DC. Right. You know, Vertigo had been what, doing um, it for a while. What year is Watchmen? Do you guys know? If ah, no, this is interesting. Watchmen's yeah. the same year. The Eisners that year, um, this went up against, uh, this This lost the Eisner for best finite series, I think, that year. Um, it went up against, and I've just got the notes here, I have to quickly look at my uh, what the other two things that it went up against were. Um, because they were... Oh, that's right. It was nominated for Best Finite Series at the 1988 Will Eisner Comic Industry Awards alongside um, Frank Miller and Bill Senkovich's Electra Assassin, which is a phenomenal book. And it lost out... And they both lost out to the uh, rather obscure Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' book, The Watchman. Mm. So can you imagine 1987, those three books coming oh, out? Yeah, what a year. Yeah. So that's that's the kind of environment. Because I was going to say, this, this feels like so. Watchmen. That's what I was kind of bringing up. Like not not in like content or story, really. But in just scope, f- yeah. yeah, in feel, yeah. I guess. But it's like that's that's the kind of environment that that late eighties, what they call the dark age, because it very much started with all those Batman books that were killing people off, and you know, Dark Knight Returns, and you've got uh, the Killing Joke, uh, which came out uh, the year after this, I think, um, and Death in the Family, and all those kind of things. Um, so and and I think year one came in around this time as well. Right, right. I think they they all came out around the same time. So uh, this is yeah, this is this is to me a phenomenal example of what a comic book can be. Mm. Uh, and look, all disclosure, I am a tiny bit of a Green Arrow fan. <laughs> uh, but look, to be fair on the on the table, I'm not. I mean, I like Green Arrow a lot, but I'm not a little a, bit. I'm not an obsessive like you. But I think this is a mighty fine comic. Mm. This is this is. This is graphic novel stuff in its in its finest form. I think I agree a hundred percent with you on the same position, mm. Dave. Yeah, I've actually become more like of a I Green Arrow read fan. much at all. Yeah, it's just this Quiver and maybe a few other things. Prior and... to reading, prior to reading Quiver and this and being and meeting you, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, get, exactly. and getting involved in Green Arrow, my only real exposure to Green Arrow has been in cartoon form, mm. uh, various Super Friends and what have you, and um, uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Yeah. Which I had read back in the seventies, you know. Yeah. So that's really kind of my only real experience with Green Arrow. So mm. this is a whole new world, and the character is rich for content. Yeah. The only other two I've read is the the Year One storyline. Yes. And um and Jeff Lemire's run. I didn't yeah. I didn't read the like the New Fifty Two start mm-hmm. of Arrow. Well, who was it? You didn't Nichenti? No. Yeah. You, yeah. You, yeah. You I remember talking to you guys with, about uh, that. There's a bunch of different writers: J.T. Kroll, Keith Giffen, um, Anna Chenty, and a few other people sure. sort of shared the load on those early issues before Lemire took mm-hmm. over. I came, yeah. I came on, I think uh, Lemire. Yeah, when yeah. He, it was number seventeen. In, or in something fact, like that. if you're wanting to read yeah. New Fifty Two uh, Green Arrow, I would suggest starting with um, issue seventeen, or if you're getting them in trades, uh, I think it's called the Kill Machine. It's the first mm-hmm. uh, trade that you can get for that. But now I think I've I've come to really. Love. I think Oliver, Oliver, Green Arrow. Queen and Green Arrow. And just yeah. go back Look, to the old. I, I would. I would agree. Uh, even though he's got the beard and everything in this, this is probably closer in spirit to what the TV show's like. Mm. 
um, even though they're trying to do that with the current current comics at the moment. Um, I, I would, I mean, one, I would highly recommend this book uh, to anyone. Full stop. Uh, if you're looking to read comics, if you're looking to read a mature comic, if you're wanting to start reading Green Arrow, particularly, this is where I told, obviously, told you to go mm. and read this one first. Yeah. And and I I stand by it now. You know, a couple of years later, and having now written God knows how many words on Green Arrow and, and reread almost everything, um, still. And I read this again this weekend, and I've already read it a bunch of times. I still think this is a phenomenal story. I still found myself racing to the end because you know you got this terrific action sequence and you got these great um, interpersonal stories, mm-hmm. and 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 it doesn't end here because you've uh, not only got that eighty issue Mike Grell stand that runs after this, which thankfully DC are finally reprinting. Uh, it's taken them ages. They've had some of them up in digital for a while, but as trades, they're finally putting out. Um, they've got the first two volumes. Uh, so very slowly, but they put the first two volumes, which is the first ten issues of Grills, run out so far. With the third volume on its way um, early next year, so they are slowly putting the trades out for that. So kudos to to DC for actually finally reprinting this stuff because there's not a lot of those back issues that have been reprinted. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly none of the back issue, uh, the backup stories from the. So basically, you can't get anything from the seventies and um, early eighties of Green Arrow at all in reprints. I had to get them all in singles. Uh, I have a fairly extensive collection. I can imagine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> boxes and boxes and boxes. Long um, box heaven. It is long box heaven. I've seen it. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> yeah. pretty impressive. And I've brought, you know, a few examples of my, my collection here today. Oh, I'll, yeah. You should talk what, about those, actually, what one, you brought. They're one, amazing. One of the yeah. one, uh, two things I brought with me today was one, the original prestige format books. Yeah. You can see what they look like when they came out back in the 80s. Uh, the other thing I brought with me was uh, DC releases, August 87. This is a little black and white um, four or five page pamphlet, which is the same way, which is how they solicited books in the 80s prior to, you know, obviously the internet and where we put up the solicitations. Solicitations is a hard word to say when I'm sober. Um, <laughs> uh, when they put those up online. But this is, I love the way that they describe this book. It's like First Dark Knight, now Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters, the next hit in our prestige format line. And they go on to talk about why you should read it, and and you know some people call it this a midlife crisis. We call it Green Arrow, the Longbow Hunters. But I love this little description that they have here towards the end here. And format once again, two power-packed words uh, will sum up the most exciting news to hit comics this year: prestige format. Um, that's the lush, full-color, square-bound format that Dark Knight appeared in. And I love the fact that they have to explain what it is. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, rapidly becoming the preferred format for some of the most creative talent in the industry. If you read Dark Knight, uh, you'll know Boy, why. Well, they really hammered Dark Knight. Yeah, yeah it's, in, it's in bold as well. It's big, bold yeah. capitals <laughs> as well. If you haven't, uh, <laughs> here's your chance to catch up with the future. So they're basically saying, prestige format, it's the future of comics. Unfortunately, it didn't become the future of comics, at least not in America. It would have been nice if it did. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but in Europe, it did. <laughs> in Europe, the prestige format and the, and the album format is was the future of comics uh, because it is a much better way to read a book. And all the people who trade weight now have effectively invested in, in that kind mm. of uh, way of reading comics because I find it a much better way to read comics. Although... Digital comics have actually changed the way I read them. But I find that, that fascinating, that that was how it was presented uh, in the late 80s. And if you, if you dig around online, if you go to, I think it's part four um, of my history of Green Arrow, so a big button on behindthepanels.net, you can't miss <laughs> it, uh, part four of that uh, series, I talk uh, extensively about the Longbow Hunters and the Mike Rell series that followed it, and I can't recommend it enough. Um, I want to throw out just a couple of quick other suggestions if you're into Green Arrow and you like this book. Um, definitely the ones that you read, uh, that you mentioned before, Green Arrow Year One, I think is a phenomenal book. That's by Andy Deagle and Jock. Uh, definitely go and check that one out. Any of the other Grell stuff that's being reprinted, the Hard Travelling Heroes, Green Latin, Green Arrow Run, definitely go and check that out. Green Arrow Quiver by Kevin Smith, uh, which I think we did back on issue 80 um, of Behind the Panels, which was this show last year, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's been a year, it's been a year. Wow, yeah. And if you do, we've missed a few episodes in the last year, that's why it's not quite you know, it should be something like 150 or something. This should be a 150th episode or something, but it's not. Um, but uh, there's also um, a four issue, no, a three issue mini series, or was it a four issue mini series? No, it was a four issue mini series that came out in 1983, it's just called Green Arrow, and you can get it on uh, digital. It's the Mike Barr, Trevor Von Eden issue uh, series that came out then and I really, really, really like that. Um, it's obscure now 
but it came out about four years before this and so it sets up some of the themes that came out in this. So, David, can I just say it's probably safe to call this... This is Comics 101. Absolutely. Oh, no, that's not what I meant. I, was gonna, <laughs> I, I wanted to, yeah, That's actually the sound effect I wanted, but I think it's also fair to say you know that the there's, sound a, effect there's another wanted. sound effect that aptly sums up my feelings on this book. <clears throat> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, cheers to you all. Uh, now, we're not going to stop with a personal pick fun. No. Next week, we are doing a book called Terror. T-E-R-R-A. It's like going from the sublime to the ridiculous, really. Though. Oh, and, and bless your cotton socks <laughs> for doing it. Now, look, we did... Your personal pick last year was Power Girl. Correct. And this is more or less the entree to Power Girl. This is the prequel, the uh, the. It is. I'm actually going to expand a little bit, though, because it is only four issues and it's a quick read. So I'm also going to say that... If you have time, because I will touch on it next week, also read the JSA um, Classified. Yes. Um, yes, which, yes, yes, yes. It's only about four issues. Um, yeah, it is. Um, which is actually the entrance of Power Girl into this yeah. universe. And so you've got those four issues, leads into Terra, and then it goes into that And Power it's the Girl same suits. team of uh, uh, Justin Gray, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Amanda Connor. And correct, yes. Uh, working on it all together, which is... And Paul Mounts. And Paul Mounts, of course, mm. doing the colours. It's it's a wonderful um, little series. And it's just it's just for fun. You know, <clears> and, and it's, it's like... And if you really want to start reading ahead, because the next one after that, Dave's personal pick. Now, I would suggest you do start Spider reading ahead. Spider Island. It's Spider Island. No. <laughs> I do suggest you start reading ahead. I've actually started It's all reading. for you, Damien. Yeah. I've actually already started reading ahead because it is a bit of a read. It is. We're doing the first mm-hmm. two trades of Transmetropolitan mm. by uh, Warren Ellis. And, it is Warren uh, Ellis, right? Yeah, yeah Warren yeah. Ellis. Yep. I had a, had Danic, a brain, had Danic, a brain uh, blank. Derek Robertson. Derek Robertson, Derek Robertson who was yeah. just in the country for Armageddon, mm-hmm. who, who didn't give us accreditation. No. Oh, did I say that out loud? Oh, Oops. bitchy. If you, love, if you love Grant Morrison and you love um, Hunter S. Thompson, imagine the two of them together yeah. combined with a star and it's in the future. There you go. Yeah, I can't wait to read it because it's one of those... If Fry that- from Futurama was a, a messed up journalist. <laughs> Transmetropolitan, is, Transmetropolitan is actually another one of those books that I've had for a mm-hmm. great deal of time, which... I've been meaning to read and haven't got to it, so I'm really glad you mm. brought this up as a personal pick. This is like my all timer. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I've actually started reading it already, so um, mm. I'm really grateful because. And I do suggest you start reading early. So, so if you want to read ahead, if you want to check out what those titles are, go to behindthepanels.net. So good. Uh, go and look at the episode list on there, and I've got all mm-hmm. the uh, the cover art for all the books that we're reading in the next couple of weeks. Uh, beyond that, it's our Christmas special. We're doing Krampus, our end of year spectacular. And then we're going to take a much-needed couple of weeks off before we come back next year with something big. Come back strong. Uh, uh, other things you should go and do is if you want to send us any feedback, send it to feedback at behindthepanels.net or even better, go to iTunes, uh, log in and go to the Behind the Panels feed and leave us some feedback. Uh, we will read the feedback out on air. Or if you just want to leave us a star rating, please do that as well. It really helps us go up the iTunes rankings. You can check out all of our other fantastic podcasts at geekactually.com. Currently, we're doing every alternate fortnight, Film Actually. It's a podcast about film, actually. <laughs> um, and Podcast Pillow Fort. It's a podcast about podcasts. Or Pillow Forts. Or <laughs> Pillow Forts. <laughs> that's that, that, no, it's Pillow Fort Podcast. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Mm. Don't, don't get the two mixed up. Gotcha. Yeah, they're, they're, they're two very distinct shows. You can, of course, go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash behind the panels. Um, and you can follow me. Personally, on Twitter, where I per- tweet personal things um, at DVD Bits, and you can find me on Twitter at D- uh, at David McVeigh. I almost right. forgot. I almost forgot my name for a minute there. Um, or on geekactually.com. and we will be putting out on the feed just for you uh, this week. We'll get it out as fast as we can. Uh, our thoughts on the new Star Wars mm. trailer so for a, film, actually a shorter show, about fifteen minutes or so, if that. <laughs> <laughs> Two hours spectacular. <laughs> it's only eighty-eight seconds long. We, we know you. We know Matt White. You suggested okay, so a five minutes per second. Uh, our, our good friend Snake Oz, Matt White, suggested that we do twenty. Six one-hour episodes on the trailer, but uh, yeah, we probably could, but we're not yeah. going. To. We still got to do our all guardians, all episodes. Uh, oh, don't worry, series. that's coming. The, yeah, yeah, the Blu-ray's yeah. coming out. Yeah, soon. Blu-ray's, out. Yeah. Blu-ray's out this yeah. week. Yeah. Blu-ray, yeah. By the time this show hits, the Blu-ray should probably be out. Absolutely, I am Groot. <laughs> um, Where can we find you, Dave? Uh, at Twitter at Dave Longo, and um, I don't know about Damn Good Cup yet, guys. We'll see. We'll see. 
The lease is expiring, but I I don't know. Maybe I'll keep it. He's going out of business. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone want to buy it? (laughs) (laughs) It's a problem for future Dave. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Ask me again in 52 issues. (laughs) Until next week, I'm Richard Gray. I'm David McVeigh. Uh, Dave Logo. (laughs) And this is... I was trying to think, it's like, no, okay, I'm a Tillin. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not. You're (laughs) Atalan. Oh, and this is probably behind the panels. (laughs) 